welcome back again to the shit show that never ends. Doing another live podcast with my buddy Doc. <clears throat> Remember to follow me on Getter and Twitter at the real underscore Big John. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll start right after this message from the Stacey Abrams campaign. Or as soon as it loads. What's well, loading about as well as her campaign's going? <laughs> All right, piss I, on. I, we got a lot. I, to talk I think about. the I think the download conceded before she did. Yeah, well, she hasn't conceded her last loss yet, so. <laughs> Governor designate Abrams. Yeah. So, how uh, how's it going up your way? Well, things are going good. Um, we are. What are we here? Two weeks away. Three weeks away. November eighth. So a month away. Just under. Yeah. A month. Early voting started today. Uh, I heard mixed opinions on that, but. I'm going to go vote early, make sure I've got my vote in there. Uh, you've advocated some early voting, so. Well, I believe in voting early if you need to. I believe in absentee voting if you need to. Personally, if I had my druthers about it, there'd be no absentee voting. Uh, and it would just be early in-person voting. You know, uh, two weeks or so before the election seems appropriate based on how we schedule things in our lives two or three weeks in advance, typically for things. Plenty of time to make it downtown in your your county, your board of elections and cast a secure ballot using a photo identification and purpose uh, in person uh, versus, you know, mailing out ballots, even if you've received a authenticated application prior to mailing the ballot out, or in many states, they just mail the ballot out, whether you or not. Uh, there's states that have online voting registration. Right. So at what point do you interact with a human being on such a high stakes sort of thing. I mean, at some point when you open a bank account, you have to see a, a teller. Right. You know, when you get a, when you get a driver's license, at some point you have to, you have to go in and take a test. Uh, there, there's, you know, so many things you do in your professional life uh, that you, you have to, at some point, see a person. Right. <laughs> to make, right. To make sure they're who they are. And it just makes perfect sense. So yeah. I would I would end online voter registration. I would I would end unless there's an extenuating circumstance, uh, mail-in absentee balloting, and focus on uh, in-person day of election balloting, and if you have a legitimate reason, in-person early voting for a period of weeks, uh, but. Uh, that's just my opinion on it. 
Okay. Hey, I do want to break here for one second, not take a break, but I just saw this come across and I, I want to hear this and play it for our audience. It says CBS News is reporting one hour ago. Alex Jones ordered to pay $965 million to Sandy Hook families. This just came down today. Do you mind if we listen to like a five-minute thing? Go right ahead. All right. But first, InfoWars host and conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has been ordered to pay nearly a billion dollars to the families of Sandy Hook shooting victims. A Connecticut jury handed down a decision Wednesday. They put the price of his lies at $965 million. Jones spent years profiting off of false claims that his shooting was a hoax. The massacre left 26 people dead. 20 of them were children, just six or seven years old. I'm joined by our national correspondent, Nikki Batiste from Waterbury, Connecticut, and Stephen Sullivan, the founding editor of First Amendment Watch and a professor of media law at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. First, Nikki, to you, walk us through what happened in court today. This is an incredibly emotional day. As the verdict was read this afternoon, I was sitting next to several parents who lost their young children. As their verdict, their mouths were read by one day were emotional, reaching over to one another, but still really strong. I spoke with several of them afterwards. We heard from several at the press conference. And they say, this verdict is the accountability of the thing we're fighting for. And I just want to talk about a little bit, just briefly about some of the testimony. This is it's what's really important to point out that Alex Jones started these theories, these lies, within 48 hours of the Sandy Hook shooting. Just three examples of testimony from family members. One father who lost his daughter. Alex Jones used video of him at his daughter's funeral to mock him, saying he was saying that he was an actor. Another father who lost his young son said he had threats from Alex's listeners saying they were going to desecrate his son's grave. Another listener saying they were going to dig it up. The family of a teacher who lost her life at Sandy Hook talked about holding a fundraiser for her and listeners of Alex Jones, supporters of Alex Jones, showing up and yelling to people who come to, to run in this fundraising race that, that it was all the hopes. So this is a really emotional trial. Alex Jones testified himself saying he was done saying sorry. And um, again, it was live streaming his show as the verdict was read today. John? Stephen, uh, Jones called this trial an assault on his First Amendment right. Free speech has allowed lying in some instances. It's limited it in other cases. Explain what was at issue here. Sure. So the First Amendment clearly protects disinformation generally. And what I mean by that is people can say all kinds of false things about election fraud, about COVID-19 um, pandemic, and even about Sandy Hook. Uh, the answer that the First Amendment gives is that we don't censor speech like that, but we push back with truthful speech. This was different, though. But what, what Alex Jones did was weaponize. He weaponized disinformation against families who had suffered the, the most grievous possible loss. And in doing that, he moved across a boundary, a very clear boundary, into unprotected speech. And that's defamation <laughs> oh, and inflection of emotional distress. So it's that crossing of the boundary that's important here. So the, the harm that was created on another person by what he was saying is the key test. Exactly, exactly. So you can say whatever you want about these issues, 
But when you're attacking individuals or corporations, that's what's different about it. And, and they bring up issues like defamation of character, social emotional distress. And in this case, um, the, the injury was so grievous um, that the, the community is represented by the jury. What? It's that very strong. Nikki, you mentioned uh, there that Alex Jones had a reaction. Um, what what was his reaction again to the verdict today? He wasn't here. He was actually on his show, live streaming the verdict simultaneously on his show, reacting to it and asking his listeners for donations. So saying he, so he could pay this billion dollars. So a lot of the parents obviously upset by that, but they said out here, uh, right outside the courtroom. At this point, that's what they expect from Alex Jones. And Stephen, I'm going to ask you, you mentioned that it's perfectly fine to go out and lie uh, about elections and other things. We have a, uh, a lot of conspiracy theories in our <laughs> American culture today. Help me understand how this decision affects or doesn't affect other outlets that uh, are in the business of spreading conspiracy theories. Oh, come on. All right. It's not, it's not perfectly fine. It's... All right. That's good enough. Uh, I just wanted to get that out there. That's an insane amount of money for they're essentially saying you hurt our feelings but I want to jump right into this election talk that's what we came here tonight to do so Trafalgar had some new polls out what did you see in those polls uh, well, what I see in the what I see happening in uh, the midterm twenty twenty two election is a red wave that a lot of people aren't expecting. I think they had been lulled to sleep by some poor polling, uh, poor polling, um, doctored polling fake phony polling uh, over the summer uh, and mm -hmm. that that showed that things were a lot closer than what they were. That doesn't mean the Republicans are going to win every single contest on the whole thing here, but uh, I, I have a feeling that this whole midterm is going to be a lot more powerful uh than what a lot of people think in in favor of the Republicans. Right. Yeah. I, I'm uh we're gonna get a little more into this in a minute, but I'm looking for more like a red tsunami or a tidal wave than uh a, a surf wave. Uh well it's you not know. gonna be a red mirage. It's not gonna be a a, a blip. It's not gonna be a draw. It's certainly not going to be anything favoring Democrats. Uh, this electorate that is about to head to the polls or is currently heading to the polls, depending on what state you're in, is more than likely going to be an electorate that is uh, soundly against uh, and not unfavorable towards uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris, and the Democrat leadership in Congress that marginally took over uh, the reins of power after a very uh, hotly contested and close and contested um, election in 2020. 
Yeah, I think truthfully, the twenty twenty election is uh, was closer than what we were, were led to believe. Um, you know, they talk about Biden's eighty one or eighty four million. It keeps growing. Maybe they're still counting ballots. I don't know, but. Uh, they talk about his 80 million votes. Let's just say that you don't hear that Trump got, you know, 74 or 75 million, which would be a record and which, uh, surpasses Obama's record, uh, for most votes by a presidential candidate. Uh, it just happened that Trump was on the losing end of that. So there is a large group out there. It's not some small nuclear MAGA group. It's uh, a large swath of Americans, the forgotten silent majority, some would say. Uh, looking at these polls today... Well, well it's, it's just po- important to point out on that yeah. uh, line, of, line, John, is Joe Biden was certified the winner in several states uh, based off of 41 some odd thousand votes, uh, meaning 21,000 vote shift over one, two, three, four, five states. 21,000 vote shift over five states, uh, in probably less states than that, really. Uh, but those were the five closest, the five most hotly contested. And the outcome of this election is, is different, right. Yeah, you can't deny that. Um, so, right now, real clear politics says that Republicans have 220 election seats secured or leaning Republican. The Democrats have 180 secured or leaning Democrats. So it leaves 35 toss-ups, according to Real Clear Politics. I heard on or read on Politico that at one point the Republicans were on track or had a, a map to 60. Now they're saying we're down to picking up 20 seats. Do you think we get over 40 new seats or under 40 new seats? Uh, I, I'll say this. Let's just keep in mind that in 2020, uh, the House of Representatives, the Republicans picked up 13 or 14 seats. That, that's a little bit of a, uh, a notation considering how all the other elections <laughs> turned out. Uh, the Senate basically a draw in the presidential election, you know, contested to a degree, uh, but very close and edging towards Biden. Um, so the Republicans have already done a lot of damage to the Democrat majority from 2018 mm-hmm. uh, heading into this year. Uh, and a lot of that was based uh, on the foundation of the new Trump coalition and yes. uh, blue collar working class uh Segments of the country, uh, Hispanic areas, uh, African-American areas to a degree, 
but uh, so we've already picked up 13 seats. So, you know, we're at about 213, 214 right now. The Democrats are are at a, at uh, 220. Uh, so anything that you add on to this year, you have to keep that in mind. Uh, in 94 and in 10, and, uh, the Republicans started way lower than where we are at now, meaning, you know, 60, 70 seat pickup sounds pretty good. But if you've already picked up 20 or 15, uh, all of a sudden, you know, 40 seats is 55, right? right. Uh, so yeah. if, if somebody said, if you're at 213 and you pick up, uh, you know, 30 seats, that takes you to 243, that is a historic number for Republicans uh, that is over a 100-year-old uh, uh, level. Uh 30 seats isn't the most you've ever picked up in a cycle, but that would take you to 243 seats, which puts you at a majority that you have not surpassed in over a hundred years in the federal house of representatives. Now, I personally think the Republicans are going to break that uh, 245 barrier and probably get to 250. Uh, so that means, you know, 40 seats. And, and some people may say, Oh, it's only 40 seats. Well, you're at 250 at that point, uh, over 250, insane. over 250, which would be historic for Republicans. That, that's a that's a level that they haven't reached in over a hundred years. Right. That's a, that's an uh, unheard of, like you said, historic pickup. Uh, I think we get to 250 uh, at least. So I guess that wouldn't be. That would be about on the the over under forty, um, and I hope that happens. I don't, how many seats do you need to have a veto proof majority? Well, yeah. I mean the ma the magic number is two hundred and eighteen. If if you show up with two hundred and eighteen uh, members who are going to vote for your candidate for speaker, you control the whole thing. Okay. V veto proof is uh, two thirds. So two thirds of four hundred and thirty-five is you know what uh, two hundred eighty-eight or something. Um, uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't think the Republicans are going to get a seventy-seat no. pickup from yeah, the fourteen or fifteen they already had. Yeah, they're not going to get to two hundred eighty-eight seats. Uh, no way. Um, but. And Democrats. I mean, just to, to put this in perspective, if if the Republicans were to get to a veto-proof majority, they would have to win all of the toss-up seats to take them at two hundred fifty-five. They'd have to win all of the uh, lean Democrat seats to take them to two sixty-eight, and then win all of the likely Democrat seats to take them to 288. And we're talking uh, some seats in Ohio, New Jersey, Georgia, Colorado, um, California, you know, a lot of new, basically what we're, what you would have to see is on election night, New England go, go red for the House of Representatives. 
that's the only way you're going to get to a veto-proof majority is if for some re- some way the Republicans pick up, and there are quite a few, frankly, and I wouldn't be surprised if we picked up a decent number of House seats, federal House seats in New England. You know, there's some seats in Maine, New Hampshire, uh, southern New York, mm-hmm. western Connecticut, uh, Maryland, uh, New Jersey. But is there enough? And you you would have and you would know early on, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You'd know early on what the vote's looking like, uh, not just in those states, but in others. Uh, what kind of night it's going to be for Republicans. So, but in order to see that kind of number, you'd have to, you'd, you'd really, because the Republicans hold a lot of seats in other parts of the country, you'd have to see just a red wave in the New England region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think that, man, the Democrats that are solid blue won't side with us. The only thing I'm looking at is the reason I brought that veto proof up uh or i guess if there were would there ever be a way to overcome a veto because when they get in they have to govern they have to lead and they have to push back on the uh fracking and oil bans and things like that and uh, do something to overturn those things biden signed to stop the fracking. I mean, we should be so wealthy, so much of a, not just oil independent, but an exporter because Europe is dying for gas, natural gas and oil right now. And the the Democrats are just going, oh, well, we've got to worry about the environment. We got to worry about the environment. Uh, Hello, you're asking Saudi effing Arabia you're asking Venezuela and Brazil to pump out more oil. If you're asking other places to pump more oil out of the ground, what makes a damn bit of difference if it's American oil or foreign oil? It's oil. It's fossil fuels. We should be doing it here. And we got to find a way for the Republicans to govern and lead and make some things happen for the American workers to keep this momentum going into 2024. So that's why I brought up the veto-proof majority. I didn't realize there was 288. Yeah, it's whatever, you know, the Constitution spells it out. I don't have it handy. I think uh, it's uh, two-thirds. Yeah, two-thirds is right now that you mention it. Yeah, so, you know, two-thirds of 435 is you know, some really high number that it, you don't typically see. Yeah. Uh, so that is what it is, right? So in my view, um, is obviously going to flip Republican. It's just a matter of what it's going to be and how the spin um, will shape the narrative of how strong of a majority it is. Kevin McCarthy is likely to be the speaker. Uh, that's unfortunate. But it is what it is. Um, I think you do what you have to do for a couple of years here. Uh, send as much uh, MAGA Trump Republicans as you can to Washington uh, to to uh, provide the air cover for uh, the leadership to do certain things. Uh, 
if the Republicans walk in with 225 to 235, it's going to be very frustrating for a lot of grassroots people. If we get in there at 240, 245 plus, we might be able to have enough people there to uh, hold some folks uh, accountable and uh, do what the Tea Party had mixed success with, with Boehner uh, in 2010, you know, uh, when we started this broadcast of ours all those years ago. And we were so frustrated at how things were going and saw exactly up close and personal the power of the establishment uh, to do do certain things. Yeah, I I think the key word is after you get elected, the key word is govern or lead and and do things yeah and what the and what the republicans could do in in the house with the majority that they're going to get uh is pass a budget uh yeah under under regular order you know don't play this game of waiting for the most recent continuing resolution to expire before you start rolling out your plan spending and all everything else you know, don't play the game that's been played in Washington for the past 15 or 20 years. I mean, we're at 30. I know we're not allowed to talk about this, but we're at $31 trillion worth of debt. When we started this show, Big John, I said, you know, we're at $10 trillion. Isn't this something? Now we're 30, 20. Yeah, now, 12 now we're 30. Years 12 years 12 later, we're at, right, <laughs> right, we're at $30 trillion in debt. We're at $20 million or $20 right, trillion. It, 20, and a lot of that was COVID, but even that doesn't mean it's okay. You know, but, uh, uh, y- y- you have to come in as as the House of Representatives, as the power of the purse, as the first chamber that gets a crack at any kind of annual budget and appropriation right. bills, and, you know, take the submission from the president that he has to submit by a certain time and if he doesn't you know bring attention to that because i don't expect biden or his team to submit any kind of budget that's worth a damn on time but even if they do you just say hey okay thank you and then we're going to have hearings you know we're going to run a legislative process on this and at least in the house we're going to pass out appropriations bills on time And, and there's like 13 or 14 appropriations bills that you have to pass under regular order with hearings and markups, you know, testimony and amendments and all kinds of things uh, that typically start uh, mid to late summer and go into early fall, you know, before the, uh, well, actually earlier than that, to get them out of the house, you get them over to the Senate in time for the uh, reconciled product to come in, uh, you know, uh, mid to late summer, early fall to pass these bills. And so if you if you have the house, you can you are in charge of that process. And I think it's important because uh, for 15 years or so, we haven't passed a budget uh, under regular order. Uh, it just hasn't happened. It's an embarrassment. We just pass these continuing resolutions that, you know, maintain spending at prior levels and they add on a bunch of, you know, other deals. Uh, and people are frustrated by that. You know, the country is 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 barely functional uh, under those under under that, and it's been going on way too long. And and uh, so you know, 
if you have the Senate, then you you know it's a it's a little you know it's a little bit of a different ball game over there. Uh, and we can talk about what I think the Republicans are going to do in the Senate, uh, which is take the majority with at least fifty two Senate seats, potentially as as many as fifty six, but more than likely fifty two or fifty three. Mm-hmm. Um, you you then have the ability to pass a budget in the Senate, and you do so under regular order. And then you and then so that that right there, when you do that, see, you know, one of the reasons why the Republicans get blamed for shutting the government down in recent years is because they don't do things under regular order; they just play the game. And then it gets to the it gets to the last hour, and everyone's like, "Well, we got to do something." And the Republicans then stand up and say, "Well, we don't want to do anything." And then you don't have the moral high ground, right? If you ha- if you have made the commitment to do things under regular order, under a process months in advance, and then all of a sudden you give a product to the president, and he decides to veto it, uh. He's shutting the government down. Be- not the lack of you know effort by the legislature. So you need to have a, a majority in both houses, but certainly in the house uh, to to start this process off. And I think in the Senate, um, you know, Mitch McConnell will be the majority leader, and nobody has any confidence in him. But, you know, it is what it is. It's crazy, but it, it will be. Um, and, um, you know, they'll pick up Arizona. They'll pick up Nevada. That's There's the majority. They're not going to lose any seats. So then the question is, is do you pick up Georgia? Do you pick up uh, New Hampshire? Do you pick up Colorado? And do you pick up Washington? And all four of those states, believe it or not, are in play. So... You think we uh, we do take control of the Senate? I think so, too. Uh, the real clear politics says there's 47 either or pardon me, 46 uh, solid or leaning or likely Democrat to 47 solid, likely and leaning. And they leave seven toss up races. So how how many of those toss-ups do you think we realistically win? Can we win? I think the two question marks are Colorado and Washington. Well, the toss-ups right now are all lean or likely Republican. So, you know, you have 47 Republican seats. That includes 43 safe seats or not up for re-election. Right. Uh, You know, like you said, uh, too lean and too likely. Um, so you have the the toss-ups uh you, you know uh Kelly all these toss-ups are in the Republican camp well I'm not looking at yeah all these toss-ups are in the Republican camp so the uh Arizona Senate seat Kelly Blake Masters is going to win mm-hmm. uh the North Carolina Open seat, Ted Budd will win. Uh, in Nevada, the Republican will win. In Pennsylvania, I think Oz is going to win. And in Wisconsin, Johnson is up by six. So the only question out of that is uh, New Hampshire and Georgia. 
And we know what they're trying to do in Georgia, and that's besmirch a good Christian man who made some bad decisions at worst uh, in er, in his early uh, uh, early, adulthood. early adulthood, influential, uh, you know, uh, life or whatever the word is. Not influential, but um, you know what I'm trying to say. Impressionable. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, his impressionable uh, adult, you know, he's a, he's a college athlete who had a lot of money coming to him. Not a lot of people that I know of have been in that position uh, with that kind of fame and stardom throughout their life. And whatever he did, uh, he's now a born again Christian. And where I come from, then that means those past aggressions have been atoned to to a higher authority than mere you. And if Warren, if Walker's faking us out, he'll pay the ultimate price. But I take him at his word, uh, as yeah. I would anybody, uh, Democrat or Republican, in that situation. And I think what the Democrats have done to Walker here is pretty despicable. But you know, you shouldn't be surprised. Bottom line is, we may not win that seat in November because of the rules in Georgia. You have to get fifty percent, and there's three parties, uh, three candidates running. Mm-hmm. But I think I think we will. So then it comes down to New Hampshire. You know that that's the only one that would you know you, you win Arizona, you win Nevada, you're at fifty two. You lose New Hampshire, you win Georgia, you're at fifty three. You win them both, you're at fifty four. Th- that's it's very easy to be at fifty four. Colorado and Washington are, you know, pretty close, closer than what I think most people would think probably don't win them but um you could come in at 54 and that would be huge right i mean you have another election cycle coming that's even close more favorable pardon me to republicans but this herschel walker for oh, well john before you go on you yeah. look at the tw- you look at the 2024 senate map and you know, overlay that with the fact that Trump's probably going to be the nominee if he runs. Oh, he he will be the nominee if he runs, but will probably be the nominee. You're looking at seven or eight seats minimum that the Republicans will pick up. So wherever, the, let's just say they come up short now, they're going to be at least at 57 at the end of uh, 2024. So if they pick up four, they're gonna they, they could be over 60 seats. That's how favorable the map is in 2024. And those people in 2024 will be MAGA Republicans. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when you'll probably see the the change from McConnell's leadership to somebody else. Yeah, McConnell Who- McConnell is, you know, if, if Blake Masters, J.D. Vance uh, win... He is going to have a democracy suppository to mm. deal with in the Republican caucus. If this other cat wins in New Hampshire, who's a hardcore MAGA guy, um, it's going to be even more so. But Trump would then have Oz, Vance, Masters, the dude in New Hampshire, Herschel Walker. I mean, there's five people right there. In addition to Holly and Cruz and... Uh, Rick Scott and several others. I mean, he's got the votes to be the leader, 
but he doesn't have the votes to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's okay for right now. It's okay if Mitch McConnell is the leader for another two years. Let him be, you know, he's 80 years old. Uh, you know, let him let him just let him just go out and then bring Trump in and bring a new Senate majority leader in with 60 plus seats. Uh, that's a you know, that may not be a veto proof majority in the Senate, but that's a filibuster proof majority. And yeah. you'll get you'll get anything done you want. You'll get just imagine the judicial appointments. Oh, gosh. It'll be unstoppable. Yeah. And, you know, I think when Republicans, one, we got to come together at the ballot box. Two, we got to come together when these leaders get elected by the people and not forget who put them there. Um, Looking at, like, we were getting right, we were still talking about Walker. You know, you've had 87 million, maybe close to 100 by now come from California against Herschel Walker. Everything, including the kitchen sink thrown at this guy. And when I looked at those Trafalgar polls today, uh, thanks for tipping me off to that, by the way. Uh, he's 3% behind. There's no doubt in my mind this guy wins by two or three percentage points. Well, first off, Trafalgar is the most accurate pollster in America, alongside of others, including uh, Big Data Poll, the People's Pundit. Uh, and that is Rich Barris and uh, Richard Trafalgar. Those are those are the most accurate pollsters in the country, uh, among others, but those are the two of the others that I know. Um, when you look at... And you understand what, uh, or excuse me, uh, not Richard Cahaley, but Robert Cahaley. When you look at uh, Robert Cahaley, Mm -hmm. he has been on uh, CNN and other places saying, you know, it's very difficult to get a hold of some of these hardcore Republicans, these Trump people, because they feel like if they talk to anybody, they're going to have the FBI knocking at their door the next day. So it's, it's, um, he, he is saying that a lot of these polls, are very much uh, inaccurate and underestimating. Um, and this is why I started off the broadcast today by saying, I think this red wave is going to be as big as anything that anybody could imagine uh, and bigger. Uh, when you look at the fact that in Georgia, Brian Kemp, a very milk toast Republican, right. uh, has a, according to uh, Trafalgar Group poll, uh, a nine-point lead, and then you go over to Warnock and Walker in the Senate race, and it's two points or less than two points. It, you know, you ask yourself: is is the average voter in this environment that is in the state of Georgia, Biden with you know a twenty-five percent approval rating among <laughs> independent? Do you think most of those people are going to come in and vote for a Democrat? You know, yeah. you you have to put your common sense hat on at a, a certain point in time and say, most likely not. Right, right. And even if this, you know, uh, Senate race, it likely, because of the third party candidate, could go into a runoff a month later. 
which I fully suspect Herschel Walker will win, especially considering the fact that the Republicans will have a majority in the Senate at that point, and their voters will be very motivated to come out and vote. And I think, um, so if it's not on election night, it'll be during the runoff. That's a unique uh, rule for the state of Georgia that isn't in other states. But bottom line is, I, th- I think the average Republican in Georgia has an 8 to 10 point generic ballot lead. It's showing up with Brian Kemp because his supporters are more likely to be polled and answer polling questions. Right. Then the hardcore Republicans who are solidly supporting Walker. So you could very well see Walker with five more points, which would put him at right at that cutoff. Right. With a lead, and, but right at that cutoff. So well, you know, th- that's my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Totally. Uh, Republicans have jobs and we got to, you know, <laughs> pay for the Warnock voters that sit at home. So, but uh, Pennsylvania and Dr. Oz and John Fetterman is another, uh, I think Oz wins this one going away. Uh, This Fetterman guy is a bully. He wants to be a bully, but yet he's mommy and daddy's boy. Pardon me. I just found out they paid his bills or helped pay his bills until he was almost 50 He's another one that's been dodging these debates. Why are de- first before we get into that, Tully? Why are Democrats so afraid to debate this year? Well, look at, look at what's going on. Look at what's going on. The southern border is a sieve. Uh, Afghanistan and everything foreign policy is abnormal. Biden came in here and said, "I'll be the adult in the room," and uh, the gas prices are up. Everything that is up is is that should be up is down. Everything that is da- that should be down is up. He he can't put two sentences together. The party has spent billions of dollars in programs that are at best lacklusterly popular, and and um you know the, he he doesn't resonate with people, and he doesn't resonate with people because he never had the support of the people. He was just an alternative. He was a he he was an alternative to a guy. And Donald Trump that the media said had to be removed from office at all costs. And so now we're sitting here, you know, forget about what you think about the authenticity of the 2020 election. Biden is the president, but he's not the president because anybody really wanted him. Which is why I've been telling people all he should have done, all he should have done as president is nothing. He'd be in far better shape by doing nothing than passing these you know, unpopular spending measures that have contributed to the economic calamity that we're in with high inflation, uh, you know, at the moment. Now, the unemployment rate is low, but that's because I think more people are working multiple jobs. But GDP growth is there. Wage growth, according to the New York Post, uh, is down 25%. The stock market, which is your pension, your retirement plans, they're all down. Uh, housing markets are down. Go try to buy a car if you need something right now, and you're an average person with not a lot of cash uh, liquidity. Uh, good luck. You, you know, go get a new used car right now. You're going to pay seven percent interest if you're lucky. You know, you might get a good trade in on your car, but uh, you, you know, you're going to pay seven percent. Uh, 
and if you want a new car, you're going to pay three, five, or seven thousand dollar fair market value tax on top of that because of the supply chain issue. I mean, how many people do you know can afford to put 28, 30% down on a vehicle with a shorter term? You know, you're going to get into a, a six or seven year term on a used vehicle at 6.8%. I mean, oh, these are real, these, these are real numbers that affect real people that, that folks in the, in the elite media are not talking about, you know, the price of groceries, uh, the price of gas, the price of anything. Uh, you know, all the free money that we got from the federal government because of their ludicrous lockdown policies is now getting eaten up by the uh, output of their disastrous spending policies writ large. And, and uh, you know, nobody, everyone's sitting here going, well, holy Jesus, are we in a recession or not? Yeah, you're in a recession. You're past recession, buddy. You're sliding downhill to depression. Idiots. Well, if, yeah, if you're not careful, you could. And, and you start to get to depression level when when wages start really taking a hit. I mean, mm -hmm. everyone's holding on to this. Uh, well, the unemployment number is what it is. And, you know, government revenue is up and everything. Well, that's because people are still spending the funny money that they got from two years ago. And they're working multiple jobs. You know, right? just wait until... The uh, interest rates kick in that the Fed is doing to see what the job growth will be when businesses can't afford to do anything. They're not going to hire anybody. I mean, and that's what's really going to hit in. Uh, so, I mean, you know, do we get out of this? Yeah, at, at some point in time, yes. But you're not going to get out of it by the, the economic policies of this, uh, you know, president uh, such as he is, uh, you know. In this administration, you need to have, you know, th this guy is not the adult in the room. He doesn't know what room he's in. No. Uh, you know, it, it, and people are losing their jobs. They're losing their purchasing power, and they're finding themselves behind the eight ball. And and that's why you're going to see uh, 245 Republicans in the House, plus 52 or more in the Senate, 30 governors, uh, mm -hmm. it's going to be a complete and total wipeout. And all this guy had to, you know, uh, should have done as president is sit there and say to his base, you know, hey, if you want long-term success, we can't do anything for two years. But he couldn't even do that. That's how incompetent this guy is, Biden. Uh, he should have told his base, I won, quote, this election. Uh, I am your president right now. Because I was the guy that wasn't going to drive us off the cliff. But he I is driving us off the cliff. But he is driving off the cliff because he thinks he needs to drive the the truck. He doesn't need to just, it's called cruise control. Trump set this whole thing up. Whether or not people want to give him credit or not is not the point. Trump set this thing up that if you just ignored him, and didn't go January 6th and didn't try to divide the country more and just did a COVID package and get the budget passed and then, you know, maybe talk about things and try to educate people instead of try to jam things down people's throat. Uh, you'd be in a hell, they would, they would be a hell of a lot better than what they are now. And the economy wouldn't suck. And we wouldn't be on the brink of a World War III in Ukraine. Oh, that's just, yeah, that's the key. And, you know, because the Republican leadership, John, is incompetent, like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, 
they, they have no idea how to play chess. You know, they just know how to play the game. They, you know, they know how to be players, but they don't know how to be, you know, the controlling movers and all of this. And they, you know, Biden ran circles around Boehner and McConnell to a degree at, later on because he they understood the game. They understood how to set things up. B- or uh, Obama did. Um, Biden doesn't get that because he has problems and his people are in, uh, just out of it. And he, uh, they're almost as out of it as he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why you're going to see what you're going to see here in a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. Speaking of this is a theme now with Democrats is that have you noticed none of them can string together a sentence Nancy can't speak. Biden can't speak. Fetterman can't speak. I see now uh, Fetterman loves hooded sweatshirts. Tim Ryan. Because he's got that growth. He's got that growth out of his neck. Fetterman. He he had a stroke and and it has then developed some kind of um, tumor or goiter. He has a goiter. That he uses to cover that the, the hoodie covers it up, and every so often it'll slip out. He's got problems, Fetterman. I mean, the guy's a fraud to begin with. Yeah, but he's got but he's got problems. Okay, problems that any other candidate in any other situation would be discredited. Okay, so if you want to go down, you know, you, you gotta you got a guy with problems in, in as the president. Clearly, right. I mean, no, no sane person can say that Joe Biden doesn't have some kind of problem. To yeah, the extent that malfunction, to the extent that to the extent it prohibits him from functioning is debatable. But the guy has a, a you know, it is a slow. He's got a flat tire. Fetterman, you could put a guy in a critical Senate seat in a critical state with with um, you know, a stroke. The guy can't even converse with people without having you know lyrics on a computer screen in front of them to transcribe the conversation yeah, yeah I, I hope he recovers i i pray that he recovers but you know it's now's not his year well you got dr oz one of the healthiest people in the world that's helped save people from having strokes and medical problems and then you've got this guy that has done nothing in life of significance. Right. Uh, yeah. He's got health problems. He's never. He hasn't a, a, achieved anything in life because of the position that he was born in. And then the offices that he has attained through hard work, give him credit. What has he done? The guy's just, you, you say, zero, zero, zero all around. Right. So, Ohio, you and I have been on J.D. Vance's bandwagon even before Trump, as far as we know. Uh, I watched this Ryan Vance debate the other night so I could see it and hear it and and talk about it. But uh, Lincoln Douglas, they are not. But Tim Ryan is probably one of the biggest frauds 
such a record of, you know, I don't just like Nancy Pelosi. I love Nancy Pelosi. Uh, voting with them over and over again. Well, I, I, happen for- to, I happen to think he was under the influence of that debate. <laughs> he probably I don't know, was. I don't know if he had alcohol issues or marijuana issues, but I saw a guy who was puffy, uh, wobbly, and couldn't hit his mark. Well, now, he maybe did get was... arrested for public in talks in Alexandria, Virginia earlier this year. Well, uh, he did. Walk, <laughs> walking yeah, he down did. the street for exercise at 2 a.m., staggering. Yeah, he did. Uh, he also had problems when uh, he was younger uh, with that sort of thing. Uh, bottom line is, uh, I don't think he was, you know, completely pure at that debate. Uh, lack of preparation, under the influence, I don't know, but something wasn't right with Tim Ryan. Um bottom line there is the guy's not going to win. He's going to go down by 8 to 10 points. Uh and and it's over. I mean, JD Vance dispatched Tim Ryan uh, mm-hmm. on the biggest issues that Tim Ryan brought to the table. Uh, abortion and immigration and JD Vance destroyed him on it. Uh the the biggest issues that uh Ohioans and Americans are looking at uh you know the economy and inflation and uh, those kinds of issues, JD Vance presented a, a a complete agenda. And and Tim Ryan could just sit there and say that, you know, uh, I'm not an ass kisser. Well, okay. Yeah. You, you, you know, this is why you lost your home county two years ago in your last reelection bid for Congress against uh, uh, an underfunded but very credible young woman uh, who didn't back down. And you so you know he's going. He, Tim Ryan is going to get eviscerated in the state of Ohio uh, in in less than a month, especially in Southwest Ohio. And more importantly, he's going to lose his home region. Yeah, you know he'll, he'll win the Democrat strongholds in Cleveland and uh, Columbus and maybe Toledo, uh, but he's not going to win in his backyard, and he's going to get killed in the in the rest of the state, politically speaking, because because he's he's a zero. Yeah, uh, Real Clear has Ohio leaning R. The other it's day, an R. It's an R. It's an R. Yeah, it's an R. No doubt in my mind either. Uh, this JD Vance, I think, could be the ninth president from Ohio. Don't you? Once people well, get to I was, know him, I was early on JD Ban- Vance's uh, bandwagon. Yeah, you got me onto this guy. He's he's smart. He's he's sharp. I heard him give a speech at the Manhattan Institute, you know, over a year ago, and I said, "Okay, this is my guy." And he kind of faltered uh, in the early, mid to late part of the primary season, mid part of the primary season. I'm sitting there going, "Geez, you know, what's happening here?" And he actually um, gained steam because he had some money coming in from his. Uh, Political action, his PAC, which is associated with him, but uh, Peter Thiel, and then right. he got the Trump endorsement. But more than that, people don't want to talk about this, but he came out 
on this Ukraine war thing and said, that's not going to do you a whole lot of good up here in Northeast Ohio, especially in Parma, because there's a bunch of anti-Russian Ukrainian people. But it, you right. know, there is a movement in the greater state writ large that, you know, we're done with these wars. We're, we, you know, we're we not the any, world policemen anymore. We're not the world's policemen anymore. And he, and not, and he didn't come out and was reckless with this statement. He made a coherent policy argument and it was at that time that he started to gain traction. The money started to come in. And then Trump came in with his endorsement and put him over the top. Yeah. The, uh, and that was I, in the Republican primary. Now in the general election, Ohio is an 8 to 10 point Republican state, thanks to Donald Trump uh, and, the, and the new Republican majority in this state. And guys like Tim Ryan are frauds. You know, 20 years ago, maybe Tim Ryan wins that election. 10 years ago... Maybe Tim Ryan wins this election. He's not going to win it now. No. So let's see here. Sarah Palin in Alaska, that would be a good Republican pickup. But they have that ranked choice voting. And we Tell me how ranked choice voting works. I understand it somewhat, but you explain it better. So basically, ranked, so first off, I think, Sarah Palin's not going to win, right? No, and, and she's and she's not going to win because of this screwy voting system they have in Alaska, and the Republicans up in Alaska don't quite understand it. So it's not that the system is you know corrupt; it's just they shouldn't have the system. People don't understand the system. It is ripe for it to be you know manipulated. Uh, if people don't understand how it works and they don't understand how it works and nobody in the Alaska Republican establishment wants anything to do with Sarah Palin. So I think that's going to be one of those on election night in a month and you're sitting there going, how the hell did we win this thing? And, and here's how. So ranked choice voting is used in, in several states and basically what it is, it's a uh, runoff without the second election. So in a lot of states, uh, George, we just talked about Georgia. You know, if, if nobody gets 50% of the vote in Georgia, they take the top two candidates, and a month later they have another election. Right. So the winner, so the winner gets 50% of the vote. Uh, that is the case in, uh, you know, a number of places in the country, not everywhere, but a number of places. There are, you know, people that will say one thing or another about that, how it enshrines certain interests and how it benefits certain interests over time. But the bottom line is that's the system. Ranked choice voting says you have to have a winner eventually uh, with 50% of the vote, but you're not going to have multiple elections. So it gets complicated. So let's just say you have four or five people running for, let's say you have, you have five people running for office and uh, nobody gets 50% of the vote in round one. So you go in, you vote for somebody and ranked choice voting. Then you're asked, well, who's your second choice? Who's your third choice? Who's your fourth choice? Yada, yada. And so it catalogs all of your votes. Now this is screwy. I mean, this whole process, this is probably uncon likely unconstitutional, uh, it is it is just a screwy way to conduct an election. You know, you go and you vote for a person, and that's it. Um, you you know, you want to have another election uh, runoff, fine. But in this system, you go in there and you vote, 
Uh, okay, I'm going to vote for, you know, Sarah Palin. That's my first vote. But then, you know, on my second vote, um, I'm going to vote for the Democrat or a third party. And then for my third vote, I'm going to vote for a third party. My fourth vote, I'll vote for the Democrat if I hadn't already. So all of this, you know, gets in and they run their first votes and nobody has 50%. You know, Sarah Palin uh, may come in at like 48 or 49% of the vote, but then they run the rank choice formula. And then the person that is at the end of the boat drops off and their votes are redistributed amongst the remaining candidates and everyone else's votes are redistributed. And then you come up with a second election without anyone ever coming to the poll again. And so what happened in the special election for this Alaska House seat is between Palin and the other dude, uh, Begich, uh, the Republican got 60% of the vote. But yet the Democrat that got 40% became the congressperson because enough of the Begich votes on the second round went to preferences for the Democrat. I mean, is this screwy or what? And so this is what's going to happen. It doesn't make any sense. And this is what's going to happen. What you have to do in ranked choice voting, if you're a Republican, is you go in and you vote for your Republican preference, one, and your Republican preference, two. And that's it. You don't vote for the other party. And right. what's happening is the Republicans are going in there and they're voting for the moderate Republican, and then they vote for the Democrat. And then all the third-party candidate, you know, the, the screwy liberal that has 10% of the vote, uh, libertarian or green, 10, uh, 3 or 4%, probably more likely, you know, their, their first-place votes get knocked off, but yet their second-place votes come in, and they're all for the Democrat. Isn't that interesting how that works? Even though... There's no second election for them to have to come and show up for to vote again. I mean, it's it's nonsense at the end of the day. And so I think that's what's going to hurt Sarah Palin is, is, you know, I think I think it's, you know, two or three Republicans and one independent or whatever running. And, and there's a Democrat and they're going to give it to the Democrat because they haven't figured out how to vote this yet. And the only reason that they have. Uh, this screwy ranked choice voting up there is because of Lisa Murkowski, this establishment corrupt Republican in name only that voted to impeach Donald Trump, convict Donald Trump in the Senate, uh, knew that she couldn't win a primary uh, against another Republican straight up. Uh, so they created this, you know, jungle primary ranked choice voting system where she could at least get to the general election. And hopefully it's, you know, enough Democrats show up and vote for her for second choice. That's crazy. Yeah, Lisa Murkowski, uh, isn't she about the only last, she's the last Republican to vote for conviction that left standing. 
The rest well, of you either fire married uh, or retired. Uh, her and Romney are still around. Oh, um, yeah, that asshole. Susan Collins, uh, even though Trump supported her. But, yeah, most of, except for a handful of people that, you know, capitulated to the mob uh, and voted uh, in a phony and fake impeachment against Donald Trump um, are left. And right. that's that's a storyline in and of itself. It, so, bottom line is, if you live in a place and they're talking about ranked choice voting, say no. If you live in yeah. a place that unfortunately has ranked choice voting, just vote for the Republicans. That's it. So as this election night comes about, uh, we'll be uh, obviously on uh, Eastern Standard Time where the polls are closing first. What are the, what do you think are the bellwethers or the canaries in the coal mine that are going to show, all right, this is going to be a good night or a great night? Well, I think you take a look at uh, this guy named Fung in Rhode Island, too and that's a federal house seat. Um, does this guy come out and run up big numbers? Right now they have this guy Fung uh, who has run for office in Rhode Island before, very popular guy. Uh, they have him up by a number of points, three, four, whatever. You're, you're going to see returns come in from Kentucky and Indiana typically first, just based on when their polls close and how they report votes, they're typically the first in. If Republican support is really blowing the the roof off the place, you could sit there and go, wow, this is going to be a hell of a night. And you'll, you'll be able to see, you know, big races right off the top uh, in, in Senate races in uh, New Hampshire Governor's races in Maine, in New York. The governor, Lee Zeldin, is within, according to Robert Cahaley at Travolga Group, uh, within earshot in New York. It's incredible. Um, you know, you'll be able to go down to North Carolina Senate seat, Ted Budd. You know, is he coming in strong? Uh, you'll be able to see a lot of things on the East Coast that'll be able to tell you wow, this is going to turn out to be a pretty good night for the Republicans. Now, on a note of caution, Herschel Walker may not win this thing, but it could go into a runoff, and that's okay, as long as no one gets to 50%. And, you know, we all know what they're trying to do to Herschel Walker down there. They're, they're trying to, uh, 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 you, know, uh, you know, it's a high-tech lynching is what they're trying to do down there, just like they did to Clarence Thomas. Right. Um, you know, Arizona, uh, a lot of votes are going to come in on election day that they're not going to count for a period of time. And you could see Carrie Lake down like she was in the primary by five, six, seven points. And everyone's like, oh, you know, whatever. It's over for her. So much for that. But there's going to be a ton of Republican vote on election day. You know, I'm going to look at the governors of Wisconsin, uh, the Senate race in Wisconsin. That's going to be about an hour behind everybody else. And again, you look at what's going on in other states, how the Republican vote is turning out compared to the Democrat vote. 
And it isn't that Republicans are winning. It's maybe Democrats are winning, but instead of them winning by eight points, they're winning by three. You know, what's going to happen in, in the Pennsylvania governor's race? What's going to happen in the Michigan governor's race? Uh, this Pennsylvania Senate race is one thing. What's going to happen to that governor's race? In, that's a very important governor's race. Is this red wave going to be uh, so huge and predominant that, you know, it takes these campaigns that haven't had a lot of money and haven't received a lot of attention or perceived to have a lot of traction where the red wave just picks people up like it does even in years where there's a blue wave. You know, it's just some waves happen and they pick people up in races that they had no business winning and they win. You know, that's all we're looking for here is a win, you know? Uh, and if the chick in Michigan beats the incumbent governor by a point or a half a point, then the wave, it was a wave year. She won it. She got a term, you know, same with Mastriano in Pennsylvania. I mean, um, I don't know why anyone would vote for a Democrat in Pennsylvania with the crime the way that it is, but, you know, I could see why people would have reservations against Mastriano. Bottom line is, we'll see what happens. You know, is is Oz and Fetterman to the point where people are like, they're going in there, you know, and the the dissatisfaction with Biden and his low approval ratings in these states. I mean, how do you have an how do you have an approval rating of a president at twenty five or thirty percent amongst independents, which is going to decide this thing? And they go in and they vote a split ticket. It, it just right. isn't that kind of year. Uh, so I think there's a lot of polls that are missing certain characteristics and dynamics of things, and uh, that are that they should miss because. It is what it is. Uh, but the campaigns specifically in the Pennsylvania governor's race for Republican has been, you know, somewhat lacking. And the Republican governor's race in Michigan with Tudor Dixon has been lacking or lackluster. But if you have these kinds of years where the Republicans just blow the doors off the place you can take these marginal raises and get a win. So uh, this Darius Mayfield, who's a House candidate in New Jersey 12, I don't know what his odds are, but he had a good tweet. Uh, he says the Republican Party officially has 67 black, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American congressional candidates. Is that the party of the people or what? Uh, well, certainly well, not I think, the party of racists. I think that's a hell of a number. I wish it was more. Uh, I think that that is the missing link for the Republicans to be competitive with the Democrats because of the changing dynamic in the electorate. Um, working class people, uh, Hispanic and African-American, specifically African-American men, uh, that were once the backbone of the old FD. I mean, we're talking 75, 80 years ago, the old FDR coalition, they have left the Democrat party. Uh, Hispanics uh, in a generational, usually moves that take a generation or two are, are leaving the Democrat party in droves. And I mean, the, uh, as for a political science experiment, 
uh, and, and and position papers or research paper. Uh, this is incredible. Um, how fast Hispanics are leaving the Democrat Party, and they're leaving the Democrat Party over, you know, uh, woke issues, uh, transgenderism, abortion, a lot of social issues, uh, but also more importantly, uh, you know, people think uh, that Hispanics are monolithic and they would all be, you know, against uh, Republican immigration policies, as it turns out. Um, they're very much for a secure border because they understand where they came from and they understand the challenges on the border and they don't want their family and other people uh, to um, be harmed, whether those are folks here or folks coming up. They don't want folks they don't want folks leaving to face harm and danger to come here. They want things done the right way uh, and under the law to come up here safely. Uh, legal immigration. Uh, and, and, the, and, and so they understand all of the challenges down the border more than anyone else. Uh, and, and so that's a fascinating thing uh, that's happening is that that typically takes a generation or so, but it's happening within 10 years. Yeah. Uh, this, this, these, uh, I think they're all three women, uh, Hispanic candidates in the Rio Grande Valley. All hardcore are, conservative women. Yeah, and they're likely to win. All three of them. Yeah, a heavily Hispanic area. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing, and I'm glad we're getting more women, more uh, Hispanic, African American, Native American, anybody. I don't care as long as you're a conservative and you're constitutional. And yeah. that's what these people are. They want to so, work hard. They want a good. They want a safe family. They want to work hard. They want jobs. They want a fair pay. Uh, they don't want their government, you know, setting things up to 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 hurt their ability to provide for their family here in this country of freedom. And they don't want to be manipulated on other social issues as well. They have beliefs and they have a belief set and they are very welcoming people, but they are also people who believe uh, in you know, uh, you know, don't screw with me, right? You know, I, I don't want to be, I, I want safe this, I want opportunity, and everything else, leave me alone. Right. So do you go think ahead. Republicans are going to go after impeachment right away? And should they? Because I don't think it's politically or important right now to go for impeachment. I think it's better to go for govern and lead and pass legislation. Well, I don't believe they can go into this and just do impeachment, but I think, you know, certainly uh, they have to prove their case. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats shouldn't either, but they have friends in the media so they can get away with this. The January 6th committee, as it is co currently composed, is a joke. It, it's a farce. It's a right. thumb in the eye to all of us that want, never want that to happen again, regardless of who is responsible. And I think we know who's responsible. But we also don't know a lot of things that went on beyond uh, what we've already seen. There hasn't been a true investigation. It's been a highlighter. There hasn't been a true you know, investigation. If you want to bring up Biden on impeachment counts, I think there's a lot of fodder there. And I think based off how political the Democrats made impeachment against 
Donald Trump, they're going to have to, the, the Republicans have to respond in kind. And then the decision is, is it pencils down? Uh, or is it, you know, does, is there no adult in the room at a certain point to say, okay, enough is enough. I mean, so yeah, I think the Republicans are going to have to impeach uh, Joe Biden on something. I think they're going to probably try to take out a couple of his cabinet secretaries. And I think they have a uh, good enough reason to do it. Uh, Mayorkas on the border, uh, uh, Merrick Garland on the targeting of certain people uh, politically, as it appears. Uh, there could be others. Um, but I think you definitely have Biden on the Afghanistan withdrawal, on the Ukrainian corruption, uh, on the border issue as well. Um, there could be more. And you have impeachment hearings. Uh, but you do it right, you know. The Democrats get representation at the committee. They get legal counsel. They get the right to depose witnesses, and the Republicans do too. And there's you know equal sharing of evidence, and you, and you air it out in front of everyone, and you see where the chip uh, the chips may fall, and that may be a distraction to what we call legitimate governing or resp- or 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 uh, uh, required governing, but because of the nature of things right now. There's going to have to be this uh, extraordinary, uh, you know, effort uh, for the government to be involved in some other things because of the political dynamics. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't pass a budget on time. You can't have other policy things and hearings on certain things that are important to the American people um, it, 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 while you're trying to, to to put government back within the consent of the governed. Right. Yeah, they've got to govern first and worry about impeachment and that. Yeah, June, 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 July, August, I think, of next year, you'll see, you know, I mean, you're going to have to see the impeachment stuff start within a month or two, or there's going to be hell to pay in the Republican ranks. Uh, and they'll go through the summer and we'll see what happens, right? But we'll do it fairly. It's not going to be a, a show trial like, uh, you're seeing in other places around the country with other people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alex Jones for one, and all the Trump people that are being attacked, the Trump family in New York. Uh, all of this is, is show trial stuff to try and gain uh, political a political foothold uh, for 2024 to keep him from running. But he's not going to back down. He'll be the nominee. Uh, There's nothing that's going to stick. I mean, this stuff with New York, okay, they're so biased and their judicial system is so biased. They may get something out of his family with that uh, New York Attorney General lawsuit. But the fact of the matter is they haven't done anything that any business person company hasn't done uh, in that regard. Well, what I would like to say about the midterm elections in 2022 is I want people to have confidence in the electoral process. I know that for whatever side of the political spectrum that you might be on, uh, since 2000, there's been questions about electoral outcomes. And in each instance, there's been varying degrees of evidence presented that supports that claim or not. What I would like and hope for the country 
is that whatever happens in 2022, that we, you know, you can be pissed off about the results of the election. Uh, but hopefully we have a situation where people will say we accept the results of the election. Now, obviously, if there are problems with how that the election is administered or if people are putting, uh, you know, blindfolds up on windows and counting rooms so observers can't see what's going on and uh, if people aren't verifying signature matches, if certain administrative things aren't happening, if, if, if ballots aren't appropriate, if there are machine issues or whatever the case is that we've heard from Democrats and Republicans over the last 20 years, you know, if those things happen, you know, um, hopefully you know, cooler heads will prevail because what we need uh, in this country at a certain point is people that are in charge of the system to run this, to understand that they run the system in a way that at least provides confidence in the way that the votes are counted. Maybe not happy with how the count turns out, but we follow the laws. We don't try to game the system. We don't try to censor people with legitimate questions. We allow legitimate challenges to go through. We let the system play out. We allow people to air their grievances. And then we have, at the end of the day, confidence in the system. Uh, because, it, you know, if we continue to have a system that is broken and behaves broken or a system that is perceived to be broken without trust but yet still operate, we're not going to be in a good sh good position as a country or a, or a free people. Yeah, we definitely have to reestablish confidence in our electoral system, and people have to keep going out there and voting and doing their patriotic duty. We can't get frustrated because uh, the base of either side will constantly be there. We have to have... Are, are people that are in the middle out there voting, you know, the 80%, not the 10 on each side. So, all right, man. Well, there Anything we have else? it. It's good. No, it's good talking to you. It's good talking to your audience. Um, there's a lot to talk about. I think we should have maybe in two weeks, another election show like this. We also still have to finish our book club up with, uh, Defeating Big Government Socialism by Newt Gingrich. We have a lot to read there. Uh, so there's some things that we can do um, throughout the month. But I definitely think uh, right before the election in a couple of weeks, let's let's all get back together and see where we're at. I mean, things could drastically change. I mean, that's politics. You know, two weeks, a lot can happen. Uh, right. And let's, let's see where we're at. Uh, and then, you know, I, of course, I would propose... Um, to the extent that we could do anything live or we can record it live. Uh, we have a nice, as we have done in many years past, uh, election coverage for people uh, to hear our take. Or, or if we can't do it live, maybe we do it a couple of days after the election to see how things are uh, actually took place. Uh, so um, it's good to be here. It's good to talk to the audience and to the people that have supported us for 12 years, 9, 19, 20, 13 years or so, and uh, God bless America. All right, man. Remember to pray for each other. God bless America, like Doc said. 
Till next time, God bless you. I'll see you next panic attack with Big John. Thanks.